1: NMLS number 3030 the
0: following program is sponsored
1: today on know the truth from philip de
2: friends are important that's why proverbs 1226 and 1320 tells us choose your friends carefully and you should give time to your friends you should give trust to your friends You should be there with them in their trouble as they will be in your trouble. You should be truthful, forgiving, gracious, tactful. Good friends, make us better friends with God.
1: Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, Senior Pastor of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. Today, Philip is delivering a message about what's really important in life, taken from the Apostle Paul's deathbed statement. In his final words to young Timothy, Paul offers some powerful inspiration to us as well. We're learning to live for Christ and in fellowship with others. If you missed any of these faith-building messages from our Best of 2018 series, they're available at ktt.org. Now, here's today's message, What Matters Most
2: the British writer and wit Samuel Johnson famously said this, when a man knows he's to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates the mind wonderfully. He's right. You can imagine that to be true. When we see the approach of death, it has a way of reprioritizing life, of switching the price tags, of making us think about what's truly valuable. When we see the Approach of the Grim Reaper. It has a way of refocusing us. Death and the thought of death separates the big things from the small things in life. The permanent from the passing, the spiritual and eternal from the material and the temporal. Death sobers us up and it pushes us to get down to the things that really matter. Isn't that why? Psalm 90, verse 12 tells us, Number your days and apply your heart to wisdom. Meditate on your death. It will be good for the way you live. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 to 4, we're told to go to the house of mourning because it's better than the house of feasting. To attend a funeral has a way of sobering us up that a party can never deliver. And so when you look at death, it makes you look at life and you realize that you've only so much that's been given to you in terms of days allotted and you want to use those wisely. That's why Spurgeon, the great English preacher said, to be familiar with the grave is prudence. I want to carry those thoughts into the passage we're about to look at, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 9 through 22. It would be easy to conclude at your first reading that what you have here is just a jumble of kind of final instructions from Paul. Some appeals, he makes to friends, he updates them in his own personal situation, and he sends and receives greetings and best wishes. But I think if you take a second look at this passage, there's something more going on, because this is set against the backdrop of Paul's impending martyrdom. Hasn't he made it clear in verse 6, I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering, as in I'm ready to spill my blood for the gospel and the honor of Jesus Christ. He says the time of my departure, the time of my death, the time of my leaving this world is at hand. It's soon. It's going to come quickly. The language of these verses in verses 6 through 8 are the languages of a man who realizes that his life has been largely lived because he uses this kind of language, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who love His appearing. And so you see that Paul is writing very conscious of the fact that his time is short. On the one hand, very practically, he's saying to Timothy, Hey, the sooner you get here, the better, because I miss you. But I also think by implication, he's saying, The time of my departure is at hand. If you don't get here soon, I won't see you, and you won't see me, because I'll have been dispatched to heaven by means of martyrdom. He's about to die. So if this is Paul's last few paragraphs, because this is his last letter, I'm guessing he's going to be focused on the things that really matter. And I've come up with this outline, and it's this, that, you know what? Friendship matters most. Faithfulness matters most. Forgiveness matters most. Faith matters most. And forever matters most. What matters most? That should matter to us. You don't want to come to the end of your life having just allowed your days not to amount to much. To frivolously have thrown away your life for that which really doesn't count. Number your days and apply your heart to wisdom. And here are five things that should matter. Let's start with the first one, friendship. Friendship matters. Now, we have made it clear this is Paul's last letter. It's his second letter to Timothy. It's around AD 67. He'll soon be martyred according to church tradition. But we read here of this intimacy, this Deep and abiding relationship between Timothy and Paul. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1. To Timothy, a beloved son. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son. Paul is at the end of his life. He dispatches a correspondence off to this young man he loves deeply, urging him to be faithful to that which Paul's been faithful to, namely the treasure of the gospel. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we come to the end of this letter. He's dying for Timothy to come because that's his son in the faith. Come quickly, come before winter. But beyond that, we shouldn't be surprised at the end of this letter that Paul mentions other people who are dear and near to him. Fellow workers in the gospel, those he has done mission with, those he's been in the trenches with. And what's clear here that as Paul approaches his death, what matters most is his friends his fellow workers in the gospel. Paul had a network of friends and co-laborers that he treasured. He was not a lone ranger. In fact, if you do your homework and read the New Testament, and I think Paul wrote somewhere like 13 letters of the New Testament, you'll find within his letters some 100 names of people he calls out. People who are in his circle of friends. And you have several of them here. In fact, if you go to Romans 16. There are 26 people specifically named. If you go to Colossians 4, there are 10 people specifically named. When you come here to this chapter, there are 19 people specifically named. 16 men, 2 women, and the Lord Jesus, who is the friend of all friends. So what's the point? It's a very simple one. Paul's writing his last few words, and included in that correspondence is updates and directions to his friends because friends matter. He sends some of them. He scolds some of them. He salutes some of them. And he summons some of them. He writes with a sense of need. And so he wants some of his friends to come and minister to him physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Bring me a coat. I'm freezing. Bring me some books. I want to study. And come and join me. Let's pray together and fortify my soul because I think it's all over for me. So he writes with a sense of need. He writes with a sense of disappointment. He's deeply disappointed in Demas, who has deserted him for this present world. He's disappointed in the believers at Rome because none of them stood with him in his first trial. They were a no-show. And then he writes to, you know, dispatch some of his friends to new places of ministry or to go back over old hunting ground for the sake of the gospel. Point being that he favored friendships. And and here's a simple thought I want to bring out. We could develop this, but I'm just going to leave it for what it is. Paul is about to die, and he's dying with the presence of Christ and with the company of friends. And that's what he values. He certainly values the Lord Jesus. When no one stood with him Jesus stood with him. We'll get to that in a moment. But alongside that, he's thankful that Luke is there. He wants Timothy to come soon and before winter, and he wants him to bring John Mark, who at one point Paul had washed his hands off. He was a ministerial dropout. He was a no good guy. But Mark has redeemed himself by the grace of God, He's back in the game, and Paul's excited to spend some time in the company of this young man and to let him know, hey, I'm in your corner. You know, I had to say some rough things. Sometimes there's tough love. But you've got this all going on, so just try and get this thought, that as Paul dies, he's enjoying a sense of Jesus' presence, but he wants his friends to be there because friends are important. They're important in life, and they're important in death. Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. Life is a team sport. It's not a solo, it's a team sport. And we should have friends. We should favor friends. We should discover friends. We should invest in friends. We should treasure friends. We should be a friend. That's going to help us through life. They'll make a success of us, the right ones. We'll want them around our deathbeds because they helped us to get where we got to. And we'll treasure their company. And they'll focus us on the gospel and on Jesus Christ. That's why Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 to 12, what is it? Two is better than one. So Paul's challenging you and me. Young or old, favor friendships. Have several friends that have been with you across a lifetime, who have been in the trenches, who have been there when you've shed a tear in sorrow, when you've laughed in success who were in your face when you were pointed in the wrong direction. Have some people like that in your life. And it's never too late to find them and treasure them. Because it has been well said that a man is not poor who is rich in friends. Good friends will come in when the world goes out. Good friends make us better friends with God. Good friends know all about us and are still happy to keep company with us. Good friends are another room to live in. They expand life. Good friends half our sorrow, double our joys, and triple our significance. Friends are important. That's why Proverbs 12, 26 and 13, 20 tells us, choose your friends carefully. Friendship is a walled garden with a gate. Only certain people should be allowed in. And you should give time to your friends. You should give trust to your friends. You should be there with them in their trouble as they will be in your trouble. You should be truthful, forgiving, gracious, tactful. Here's homework for you. Read the book of Proverbs, one of the best manuals on friendship. Get a piece of paper and a pen and write down the verses that mention friendship, and you'll come up with a profile on what it is to be a friend and what to look for in your friend. And remember this, especially young people, there's a big difference between friending and being a friend. All right? You have 500 friends, supposedly, right on Facebook. No, you don't. Maybe you have five of the 500. And that's not surprising, because you really can't have that many friends at an intimate level. That's a small circle, that's limited, that's a walled garden with a gate. And so, work at that. That's why I love part of Jackie Robinson's story. I haven't watched 42 in a while. I need to rewatch it. It's an inspiring story. First black man in America to play in the major leagues. If you listen to him and watch him, he acted with class. He was a man of character. And he faced a lot. Played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And there's a scene in his life where he's in Boston playing and. He's up against what he has met all across the baseball league. You know, fastballs to the head. The opposition spiking him at the bases. Crowds being venomous in their hatred of him. The opposite dugout shouting epithets his way. And he's handled it with a certain courage and fortitude. But this day it's getting to him. He's at breaking point. And if you've watched the movie, if you've read the story, you'll know that there's a southern gentleman on the team, Pee Wee Rees, who leaves the Dodgers dugout, goes over to second base in the middle of the game with the crowd, the fans, the other team hurling insults, and he puts his arm around Jackie Robinson. He doesn't say anything. One, he wouldn't be heard. Number two, what he did was saying it all. He's my friend. You got to come through me to get to him. Jackie Robinson says that that moment saved his baseball career. Friendship is a wonderful thing, it's a treasure, something to be valued, something that you want to work at, something you want to enjoy down to your dying breath. I hope you and I have friends across a lifetime, and time and distance and issues don't get in the way. And just Want you to reread that passage later and you go through all these lists, but you need to realize all these people knew Paul, were known by Paul. They were all close to Paul, some closer. And Paul's dying and he treasures them because what matters most in life? Number one, friendships. Number two, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Because if you reread these verses, you're going to see that Paul is isolated and abandoned, and he has faced opposition for his gospel commitment. Notice that verse 10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. I don't believe that Demas forsook Christ. I don't believe he was an apostate. Neither does John Calvin and many biblical writers. I believe that he took cold feet. I believe the thought of this present world, convenience and comfort, drove him back to Thessalonica, where there was a church. But he didn't want to stand with Paul because that came at a cost. And his love for the material, his love for the present moment, his love for his own preservation caused him to betray his friend. And that's there. Alexander the coppersmith, according to verse 14, does Paul much harm and opposes him. There's a debate as to who this Alexander is. There's an Alexander in Acts 19 that actually stood with Paul in the beginning of the church at Ephesus where this letter is going because that's where Timothy is. But that's not the Alexander. I also don't think it's the Alexander of 1 Timothy 4 who was a heretic and was indeed put out of the church for his own sake. Now, I think this guy's probably like Demetrius the silversmith you go to Acts 19, you'll read about Demetrius the silversmith, who was someone who fashioned idols and opposed the gospel. Because when people got see if that add into his business. He was a bottom line guy. I don't like Paul. I don't like his gospel. I don't like what it does in the lives of my customers. And I think we've got this going on. I think that's who Alexander is. He's a business guy. He probably fashions idols too. It's like Demetrius the silversmith, Alexander the coppersmith hates me and has stood in my way and he warns Timothy about him, which again would point to the fact he's somewhere in Ephesus. And Paul says, I just give him over to God. Then you've got the fact, verse 16, that no one stands with Paul, right? He's by himself. He's on his tod. He's alone, deserted, posed by foes, let down by friends, so nobody at the church of Rome where Paul is in Rome, they were a no-show. Kind of sad, isn't it? But here's the thing that strikes me. No lawyers, no friends. Well, he's got Luke, only Luke. He's one Timothy to come soon. But there he stands as a lonely soldier committed to the gospel. But that's okay for Paul. He wished it was otherwise, but Whatever they do is not going to determine what he does, and so he remains faithful. What does he say to Timothy? 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sure with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy, it costs To be a gospel minister. Are you willing to pay the price? I hope so. And God will empower you to do it. We read in chapter 4, verse 7 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Remember, we said that's not subjective faith. Paul's not saying that I die confessing my trust in Jesus Christ. He's saying I die committed to the same gospel I heard that brought me to faith. I still believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. I still believe that Jesus was in the beginning with God and was God and created all things for the glory of God. I believe he was virgin born. I believe that there was a perfect union of human nature and divine nature in Jesus Christ. I believe in his miracles, his sinlessness. I believe in his death on our behalf, the shedding of his blood to make atonement for our sin. I believe in His resurrection bodily three days later. I believe in His ascension. I believe in His prayers on my behalf as an advocate between God and man. And I believe right now He may be getting off His throne to return any day. I believe that. I still believe that. And I do believe that. And I will die believing that. It's powerful. That's where Paul is because in the end, gospel commitment matters. You'll want to die with some of your friends nearby. And you'll want to die with a firm grip on the gospel. And know that you never deserted it. You didn't betray it ethically, morally, or theologically. That you're still standing. You read this last chapter and these last verses as I did several times trying to get... Paul, I don't want to get lost in all the details. What's going on here? Well, here's what's going on here, Philip. I'm showing you what matters most, and you will see I'm dispatching this person there, and I'm sending this person there because I want the gospel to keep going out into the world. I want disciples to be made. I want them to be baptized. I want churches to be established. I'm focused there right up to the end, and that's challenging, folks. Everything is secondary to his commitment to the gospel. He wants to know that on the other side of death's door, he's going to hear one thing and one thing only. Well done, Paul, good and faithful servant. And you know what? That's what matters. What matters most is the gospel.
1: You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. We're a Bible-teaching ministry committed to preaching the gospel with boldness, clarity, and without apology. To revisit any of the messages in our current Best of 2018 series, go to ktt.org. We're counting down the days to 2019, but this is also a time of year when we want to remind you of your important role here at Know the Truth. Philip, why don't you share with our friends what this means?
2: Hi, Wayne. You know, I'm more than glad to take this moment just to talk to our listeners about the the practical reality of our ministry at the end of the year. Uh, We are a listener-supported ministry. We're a nonprofit, and we need both the prayers and the giving. Of our listeners um, to keep this ministry moving forward. Uh, We're always involved in planning and production and the delivery of these programs. It it involves several people and paid staff within our office and working with other agencies and ministries. We've got our time to pay for. And that all mounts up. And so I'd love to appeal to you as we come to the end of 2018 would you consider coming alongside us? Uh, Maybe you've benefited from our ministry. You like what you hear. I think there's always the danger. I find this in, in ministry itself, in church life, that everybody thinks somebody's doing it when nobody's doing it. It's often down to that faithful few. And really, we need more of our listeners to step up, to help us end 2018 in a strong financial position so we can turn around and embrace 2019 with all its opportunities. We want to stay in your market. We want to stay in your city. We want to continue to speak into your life. And so as our ministry goes forward and as the gospel goes out, would you consider in the middle of all the busyness of these holidays to take a moment, write us a check, Make a year of end gift today. It would be a blessing to us as we seek to be a blessing to you. Contact us at ktt.org.
1: Well, it is exciting to know that you and I can make a difference when we donate to know the truth. You can be that important somebody who steps up to keep these Bible teaching messages on the air, sending God's word out to men and women across the country. Call in your most generous year-end donation to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And you can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And today we're offering you a copy of the KTT Journal. We'll send it out to you when you make a generous donation in support of this Bible teaching ministry, Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepard. Join us tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy continues to remind us about what matters most. That's Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Since childhood, Brooklyn has struggled with debilitating anxiety, but she found comfort on the radio. It was like every single time God was just telling me again, I'm here for you. And focus was that ministry he used to be that voice I needed in that exact moment of time. I'm Jim Daly. Give the gift of family to help more people like Brooklyn. And when you give today, your donation will be doubled. Call 800 Family. Go to WABA.com, keyword family. When you listen every weekday to The Eric Metaxas Show, you'll hear from the people making news. Plus, we'll talk to some of the more surprising voices in contemporary Christian life. And did I mention fun? Yeah, I'm Eric Metaxas, and I'm trying to pioneer a new kind of talk radio. So join me every weekday for The Eric Metaxas Show. You'll never think about radio quite the same way again. Weekday afternoons at 2 on life-changing talk radio, AM 780 WAVA.